Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 hi, 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 and goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, everyone, this is widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. Of course, I'm your host, Sam Wiles, and thank you all for listening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for downloading. I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Right, as you may have guessed from the title, everyone, yes, the main order of business today will indeed be another catch-up session on all things McCartney 3 since our last episode when the album was announced. Of course, unless you've been living under a rock, McCartney 3 is the new trilogy-capping solo studio album that Paul He himself recorded at his home studio during Rockdown, and it's out November 11th, 2020. Now, whilst I am thankful that enough content has indeed come out to legitimise me doing another rather off-the-cuff, spur-of-the-moment, spontaneous episode, this whole thing was actually in the planning a lot longer than I had intended to, really, and it was meant to be rather different. Essentially, and I'll touch on this later, Paul kept dropping all these cryptic hints, and since so much freaking material came out in relation to McCartney 3, people kind of put two and two together where it wasn't appropriate, myself included, bearing in mind, and we were all convinced that Paul was going to drop a single on November 13th. Now, of course, you're listening to this after November 13th, so, you know, no prizes for guessing what happened there. The single didn't come out, and I thought I'd be clever back a few days ago, and record all of the catch-up stuff, you know, the the stuff that I wouldn't need to record on the day, and edit all of that, and then fit that together with a brand new on-the-spot review with a guest, and then release it all together in timely fashion, you know, know, really speed up that whole production process. And yeah, it's December 19th now, And with no single release insight, I just thought, fuck it, I'll redo this intro, edit a couple of things around in the episode, and then add a couple of things on the end as uh, some more releases have been announced, you know, a few more developments. And so, yeah, rather like last time, this is going to be another McCartney 3 update episode. We're going to do exactly what we did last time, whereby I'm going to go through every single article, release, web post, rumour, discussion on a forum pertaining to McCartney 3. You know, this is going to be the idiots, everything you need to know about McCartney 3, part two. Obviously, go back and check out the last episode if you haven't already. I'll be referring back to it a lot. Yeah, it's sad that we don't have the single, but at least I can squeeze another hot takes episode out when the time comes. Anyway, with that all being said, the fact that this is my second time recording this fucking intro and the fact that certain listeners desire for me to crack on with the show a little more promptly, let us move right on to the matter of the housekeeping. To get in contact with the show, please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. As always, I want to hear your Paul McCartney stories, your Paul McCartney trivia, your thoughts on the music, whether it's stuff that we're talking about in today's episode or stuff in a previous episode or something in McCartney's chronology that we haven't covered yet. Anything, I want to hear it. 
We do have a quick email to read out today from John Henniger, the man who spotted the spelling mistake in our thumbnail, a spelling mistake I'm still yet to fix. <laughs> anyway, John has kindly emailed in in regards to something I said in passing to my guest Ethan on our last episode, which covered the Wings Greatest compilation album from 78. He says, Dear Sam, in the Ethan Alexanian episode, you wondered about how the charts differentiate on the position of A-sides and B-sides since they are sold together as a unit. The difference is radio airplay. In the pre-streaming days, singles charts were based on a formulaic combination of sales and airplay. The practical reason for the designation of one song being the, quote, A-side was that it was the song recommended to the radio stations that they play. In the case of the double A-side, there is no such recommendation. The reason, for example, that Penny Lane made it to number one in the US and Strawberry Fields didn't is that the former got more radio spins. Anyway, Billboard always seemed to take the accuracy of these charts seriously though, since they had competing labels watching them. But who knows? It's even more interesting these days though, when labels and artists can supposedly pay bot farms to artificially spike streaming numbers, but that's for another podcast, lol. Signed, John. And yeah, thank you so much for getting in touch so swiftly and clearing that up with me there, John. I definitely understand it at least a little bit better than I did before your email. I was definitely showing how green I was there, though, that being said, being the, the uh, doubtful sprog that I am, I'm not convinced that the uh, analogue pre-internet world was in any way accurate enough to gauge what is or isn't being played on the radio all the time and what's being bought and what's being spinned. I mean, how accurate do we get, like, you know, down to positions 99 and 100? Is there enough detail there to accurately discern the two? Hmm... But yeah, like our email last week on the punk scene in America, I am gonna I am gonna defer to you here, John, and your expertise, simply because I do not know. And thank you so much for getting in touch so quickly, like I said. Again, folks, if you want to have your emails read out on the show, contact us at PaulMcConnyPod at gmail.com. Follow us on our Twitter page for constant updates and rumors and little musings I have. I always have a lot of fun with that. That's at McCartneyPod. Check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. You can check out all sorts of new articles, such as two-part McCartney songs, where I tackle all sorts of multi-tracked, Frankenstein-esque McCartney compositions, and also my Egypt Station single disc article. That was very fun to write as well, where I reduce Egypt Station from a double disc to a single disc. The blog's got all sorts of bonus Paul or Nothing content. Go and check it out. Find us on Facebook and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul McCartney Podcast or Paul or Nothing. Please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are using. I know it doesn't seem like much, but it takes two seconds and it really helps boost the show in terms of the algorithms and our exposure. It really does the trick, so I'd, I'd appreciate that. And hey, maybe you could even leave a nice little comment as well. And of course, if you want to help out the show in a more direct fashion, if you want to help keep the lights running, help support equipment and guests and fun future episodes, you might be interested in checking out our Patreon page. Yes, Patreon, as you know, is a way for you to help independent content creators such as myself. The show is ad-free, of course. I do it whilst working a full-time job. And we are well past 100 episodes now, folks. So if you've been enjoying all of this content and, you know, you'd like to buy me a coffee or a pint 
you know, you can chuck a couple of dollars down the internet every month at me and it really helps, you know. One day, you know, the dream is that I do this full time and if you want more Paul or Nothing content, it's the best way to ensure that. So quick shout out to all of our Patreon patrons, Teresa Breda, Stephanie Miller, Louis DiLonardo, Stuart Cook, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S., Sam Hode, Anastasia P, Robert Carabelli, Tony Vosol, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips, who you heard just a couple of episodes ago. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. Thank you to everyone who is listening right now for downloading. Make sure you tell a friend, post about us on Facebook and wherever you can. It's always appreciated. And now that's all done, folks. Now we've got the admin out of the way. It is time to continue our ever-deepening investigation into McCartney 3. McCartney 3 Updates. Now, just to say, folks, I have recorded the intro and this next part prior to the actual release of any single, so I may even have to go back and re-record certain parts, especially with the title. Let's hope it all plans out. But yeah, my production time can be awfully long, and I do have a lot to say, so... So I am going to record this ahead of time so that I can edit it and then hopefully when the song comes out I can just add the quote live portion to that and have the the episode out in record time. Yeah, I've written all of this stuff to kind of be in the correct tense that you're going to listen to it but yeah, I haven't actually listened to the single yet. You'll have to wait till the next part of the show. Uh, Hopefully everything will match. Wish me luck. Anyway, like I said, there has been a glut of content that has come out since the McCartney 3 announcement episode we did a couple of weeks ago. So before we can even think about discussing the song, you know, the song you came here to hear me discuss, we've got to make sure everyone's done their homework, make sure the rest of the class is up to speed, no one gets left behind. Though if you really just want to hear me talk about Find My Way and McCartney 3 with my guest, then... There's going to be a cheeky timestamp down below in the description just for you. Anyway, right. First things first, we do indeed now have a full and complete track listing for McCartney 3, due out December 11th. And fittingly, it is 11 songs total, which might not seem like a lot, but we do know for a fact that two of them are around the six, seven, maybe even eight minute mark. So we're, st- we're definitely still going to get our money's worth here. The uh, track listing reads... As thus, Long-Tailed Winter Bird, Find My Way, Pretty Boys, Women and Wives, Lavatory Lil, Sliding, Deep Deep Feeling, The Kiss of Venus, Seize the Day, Deep Down, and then Winter Bird When Winter Comes. So yeah, glad we finally got that all nailed down. But it is interesting that on this release, we're going to have three tracks with Winter in the title, them being the two bookend tracks for the album, as well as two numbers with Deep in the title. Very deep. And I cannot wait to pick apart and overanalyze the potential hidden messages behind these titles when we get the album later on. Secondly, I've got a round off all of the versions uh, available for release, available for purchase of this freaking album, as well as clarify some things from the last episode. One thing I did get wrong the first time around is that the Target exclusive is actually uh, Target exclusives, as there are indeed two. There is one where it's just the alternate art with the green dice on the cover that I mentioned, though that's actually the Target CD exclusive not the vinyl. And Target actually has its own exclusive vinyl release, 
with a very sexy green vinyl disc, might I add. So I'm glad we've got that grievous error cleared up. Also, we mentioned in the last episode a mystery indie pressing of this album, and it turns out this isn't like an independent label or chain or pressing or something like that. It's actually an additional exclusive release of the album that will only be exclusively available in independent record shops around the world. That was probably obvious to many of you, not me, but hey-ho, this pressing will have a white vinyl disc and is limited to 4,000 copies. If you're interested, just ring up your your local indie record shop and ask if they're going to order it in. I know I certainly am. Whether I buy it or not is another matter, but I'm certainly going to ask. We also have another Third Man Records edition pressing version of McCartney 3. Again, from the last episode, these are the guys who released the Yellow Disc, Yellow Dice edition of the album that was listed for sale before the official album was even announced. Well, yep, this is them again, and now they're doing a red pressing of the album, available from McCartney's own website, you know, like the last one. Again, though, there is another twist here. It turns out that the original pressing of 3,000 red discs was exclusively for the UK and Europe, and this new red pressing is a further 3,000 copies for the United States. Then we have the next exclusive edition, this time for Newbury Comics. They are a music retailer based in New England, and this one comes with a lovely pink vinyl. Not salmon, it's pink. And it too was limited to 1,500 copies, and I say was because, you guessed it, it's sold out. Not only that, though, but keeping in with the kitsch tat that McCartney seems to put out uh, with all of the uh, major releases at the moment, there is going to be a cassette version of McCartney 3 because, of course, there is... I think there was a cassette of Egypt Station as well. I'll definitely have to check that one out. It may have been available in one of the big box sets. But yeah, not sure how many people out there will physically be able to play this one, though people of a certain demographic who might have the cash to burn might actually have a cassette player. So why not go ahead and blow your cash on this outdated release? And yeah, I think that is every single release of McCartney 3 that is coming out now, though there might be another one at the end of this opening segment as well. One other thing in relation to our last episode that I quickly wanted to touch on was the artist who worked on the cover art for McCartney 3, artwork that still sadly hasn't quite grown on me yet. The man I dubbed Edward Ruscha or Rushcha or Rushka is actually called, or his name is actually pronounced Edward Ruscha. I'm awfully sorry about that, Richard Ruscha. As a man with the surname Wiles, W-H-I-L-E-S, who was always called like Wills and Willes, I can certainly empathise with the irritation of having someone mispronouncing your name. Glad we've got that grievous error out of the way as well. Next up, moving from the physical to the digital realm, we have the Home EP, which is a Spotify-only playlist that Paul has just recently released. Once again, going back to our last episode, Paul released a clear Coke Green edition of McCartney 3 exclusively through Spotify, And now he's also releasing unique playlists with them too. This is what the press release on McCartney's own website had to say about the home EP. 
Home is the first in a series of streaming-only EPs released in the build-up to McCartney 3, featuring previously released songs that tie in with the themes of the new album. It's no surprise that Home, a theme that was significant in Paul's early solo work, such as McCartney and Ram, will appear again in his third self-titled solo record. The Home EP takes us back to basics with comforting yet uplifting songs, from the upbeat Eat at Home, which makes you want to dance on your kitchen floor, to the soft and beautiful Every Night, which will have you cozying up with a loved one. Tracklisting. Eat at Home, Cook of the House, Mull of Kintyre, Home Tonight, Every Night, and Heart of the Country. Now, I've got to say, I was certainly intrigued by this release. At first, it was mostly to see if the playlist was in any way interactive or had an image or gave any sort of clue to the upcoming McCartney 3 release. But then, once I found out that it didn't, I decided just to listen to it as a collection of songs. And it certainly is an interesting bunch, to say the least. Not going to lie, Home Tonight was a massive low point for me. But I know I'm rather alone in my indifference towards that Egypt Station bonus track. Um, Egypt Station into Cook of the House was cool, both as a thematic pairing of Paul and Linda, but also because of the sexual undertones of the first and the fact that Linda's lead vocal on the second. You know, I kind of picked up on that as a cheeky little play. It was a fun little thing to listen to, I guess. Though I'm not sure how many people are going to go back to it and revisit this as a series, but we'll see. Then again, I can't judge too harshly any playlist that is 33% made up of tracks from Ram. But now I'm also wondering what other homely or, or home-themed songs could have gone onto this EP. Maybe I Love This House from the Flaming Pie bonus tracks? If you can think of any better ones, let me know at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or hit me up on the Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Something I didn't latch on to quite right away was the fact that this is going to be the first in a series of upcoming EPs in the lead-up to McCartney 3. And I wonder what different things we're going to get, what songs they're going to choose to highlight, you know? It isn't a new album, it isn't McCartney 3, but it's something, and it's nice that they're giving us these little tidbits to, to wet our beak, as it were. Uh, it's always nice to see some new Paul McCartney-related content in your feed, right? You know, especially if you are a Spotify user, which I am. Though, if we are taking bets on what themes are coming up next, nature, love, and animals, maybe even family, are all surefire bets at the bookies. What I do want to query, though, is why is this, why are these called EPs? It's not actually like it contains new or unreleased content or anything like different tracks or demos. So to call it them anything other than a playlist is a little false and a bit of an oversell. Again, always happy to see new and interesting ways to absorb Paul's music and different collections, as we mentioned on our last episode, uh, you know, has the potential to totally recontextualize a song and make you see it in a completely different way. But it's still strange that it's been given the more professional, commercial, official moniker of EP rather than just a playlist, which is what it is. Speaking of Spotify playlists, though, there is also the sticking out of my back pocket playlist. And this is a playlist that is essentially just a kind of rotating monthly not best of, but just interesting McCartney songs for you to listen to on Spotify. It's kind of a permanent fixture. 
I'm guessing Paul and Spotify have worked out some lucrative deal recently, a la Joe Rogan. On the Spotify page itself, it reads... Sticking out of my back pocket has undergone a McCartney 3 takeover ahead of the release of Paul's brand new studio album out December 11th. Little picture of a dice. This month, listen to a selection of tracks that feature Paul playing all the instruments. And then they've got Temporary Secretary, Hot Sunglasses, Dark Room, Frozen Japanese, Coming Up from Twin Freaks, which is great, Bogey Music, Dark Room from Twin Freaks, Kreena Crore to piss me off, obviously. And then the Maybe I'm Amazed remix again from Twin Freaks. A lot of uh, Spotify and streaming content for Paul recently. A very interesting shift. Part of that modernization with him that we saw definitely taking shape during the Egypt Station promotional stuff. Thank God there's no carpool karaoke this time around, you know? So... Steering the ship back to actual McCartney 3 content, we have the McCartney.com Q&A that was uploaded on the 30th of October 2020, where in a moment of hopefully purposeful symmetry with the original 1970 McCartney album and the Paul McCartney self-interview, Macca has gone ahead and answered a bunch of questions prior to the album's release. Well, okay, only two this time, but it's better than nothing again. Also this time, just to shake things up, the questions have actually been submitted by the people at PaulMcCartney.com itself. Not sure who they are or what that means. Again, is it actually Paul? I don't know, maybe who knows. But yeah, this isn't the longest of posts and it is only two questions. So I think it's just best that we go through the whole Q&A right now. Also, the quotes are really long, so I'm not going to do the Paul voice. It'll just annoy people. What inspired you to start working on McCartney 3 this year? I'm always writing. It's like my hobby. I had a couple of things that were new that I'd just done. And during lockdown, you were asked to stay at home or go to work only if it could be done from home. The thing that I couldn't get done from home was making a record unless I was going to do the bedroom thing, which I haven't really got set up. This meant I was able to go into the studio. I had a finished intro and outro for a short animated film and I got into it. Then I thought, well, you know what? I'm enjoying this. So, then I looked at the latest song I'd written, and I did that. I realised that there were some songs that I half worked on, so I started finishing those up. Then there were songs that I'd never worked on, but I'd written a year or so ago. And I enjoyed going back to them because it wasn't for anything. It felt homemade, you know? For example, if you're making a painting that's going to go on the front of the town hall, it's very significant. But if you're making a painting for your own little bedroom, you don't worry so much. And that can be very liberating. It was quite liberating doing these songs, and I actually enjoyed that time, because I was locked down with Mary and her family. It was great. Mary's a great cook, so I'd come back from the studio, cooking would be on, and we'd drink and sit around just before dinner. Then they would say, what did you do today? And it became a little ritual. I'd get my little books out, and I'd play the music off my phone. So now they know these songs inside out. Did you ever record voice notes on your phone? Yes, I do a lot. And it's embarrassing to think, when I started off all those years ago, John and I had to remember everything. The only things available for home recording were the big Grundig reel-to-reel tape recorders. And of course, you had to be very rich to have one, so we didn't have them. We always had to remember what we'd written that day. We'd write the song, go away, and all we had was a piece of paper with the words on. And then later on, we'd have a drink and think, what the hell was that song? Oh God, forgotten it. I'd wait a minute, thinking John would probably remember, and often one of us would wake up first thing in the morning and luckily have the song in our head again. 
So in the studio, you were always playing something that you remembered, that you knew, and that was finished. Nowadays with iPhones, you can put a little sketch of an idea or a little bit of a riff or maybe just two lines of a song and think, I'll finish that later. My phone is full of sketches, some of which I pulled out during lockdown and I thought, I've really got to finish these. So I did. But yeah, I'm always on my iPhone, always putting ideas down. And the double-edged sword means it's good you can remember your ideas, but it's bad because you don't finish them. You've got to force yourself to come back and finish. Fortunately, I had an opportunity during this time to do just that. And yeah, everyone, um, not exactly a lot a lot of new information. Uh, again, just Paul kind of telling us about his time during lockdown and where this album came from. This is definitely going to be, you know, a, a famous Paul McCartney album story for sure. But I don't think there's too much to pick apart there. I think it mostly speaks for itself. It's also nice to know that Paul has an iPhone and not a dirty Android, though. That certainly made me happy. Of course, this was a post that was put up for free on McCartney's own website, so I can't complain about it too much in terms of its length, but I think at least four or five questions would have made it a little more substantial and worthwhile. But yeah, you can't steal all the best questions away from the media, but something a little more than just two run-and-gun questions would have been nice. Like... When I got into it, and before I'd scrolled to the bottom and realised it was only two questions, I was, like, I was like, oh my god, they're redoing the Paul McCartney self-interview. How clever. What what great symmetry. But no, sadly not. Next up, we have the first of today's album reviews for McCartney 3, this time coming from the pop culture site, The AV Club. Overall, it was a very well-written review, and the writer, Gwen Einert, really goes deep on all of the lyrics, which I really enjoy. Like, she's clearly absorbed the music, and I did enjoy her unique take on it. What was also quite refreshing was the fact that, you know, obviously magazines are always gagging for an interview with Paul and a future interview with Paul, so the potential always exists for a bit of mutual back-scratching. And yet Gwen's review, opposed to everything else I've seen so far, is quite middle of the road. There's no final score at the end, but I think it would be more a 6 or a 7 out of 10 than the kind of 9 and 10 out of 10s that we've been getting so far. Again, not that the writer actually paints a bad picture of the album at all. It's it's very positive as far as I was concerned. But perhaps this was a review from someone who's not a diehard fan for a change, which is also quite interesting. Uh, let's just read a little section now. We've learned the prospective danger of Macca noodling around in the studio from McCartney 3's predecessors. Wonderful Christmas Time came out of the McCartney 2 sessions after all. And a few of the new album's tracks embody that was probably more fun to play than it is to listen to quality, like the meandering, repetitive, oddly similar Deep Down, nearly six minutes long, and Deep Deep Feeling, which features... Eight minutes of unengaging relationship rambling with an especially cruel fake ending around the seven minute mark. And the bluesy schoolyard taunt of Lavatory Lil isn't about to take the reins from lovely Rita anytime soon. At least the mostly instrumental kickoff, long tailed Winterbird, offers a hooky acoustic guitar riff that you can't blame Macca for hanging on to as long as he does. Fortunately, midway through the record, McCartney 3 starts to soar. When he's not pouring his heart out into silly love songs, McCartney fares best 
harnessing his seldom seen inner rage a la Helter Skelter. In the stormy sliding, McCartney effectively rants, I know there must be other ways of feeling free, but that is what I want to do, who I want to be. The track's ambitious grit is wisely followed by The Kiss of Venus, a romantic acoustic number that evokes the delicacy of Yesterday or Blackbird. The Kiss of Venus has got me on the go. She's put the bullseye in the early morning glow. And it sure sounds like that historic Mellotron comes into play. Again, always appreciate the lyrics being included in these reviews, like I say. It's a great little sneak preview, as it were. I mean, shit, we could probably build around 30% of McCartney 3 based on all of the lyrics we've received now. But yeah, it was always cool to see a non-McCartney mega fan review this one for once. As it is nice to have someone manage your expectations for once, you know. And then we come on to the Mojo magazine review, written by Jim Irvin. Not exactly sure what day this came out in the UK. Email me if you do at paulmcconeypod at gmail.com. But... I know that it came out right before the rest of the McCartney 3 stuff we're going to be talking about, so hopefully we're still in the right order. Unfortunately, despite my fondness for Mojo, the exclusive interview for McCartney 3 went to Uncut Magazine, and so we just get the review here. But still, as always, I was really looking forward to seeing what they had to say, and thankfully they didn't disappoint, especially with this eye-catching, humorous portion here. What does the man who made I Wanna Hold Your Hand mean in the time of wet-assed pussy? I doubt the question was uppermost in McCartney's mind as he worked, but it must occur to the people who market it. Actually, McCartney 3's simplicity and unexpected stylistic leaps chime with modern taste. The idea that McCartney 3, this kind of 70s throwback homemade album, is going to appeal to modern taste was definitely something that caught my eye. Um, I'm also glad that people are seemingly meeting this album on its own level and judging it appropriately. This was the only review that was also sensible enough to remember that neither of the previous McCartney albums, despite the fact that they are so lauded now, were not warmly well-received upon release. He says, Just like McCartney's 1 and 2, 3 is a confounding cocktail of genius and misfires. If it feels like Paul is oversharing and undercooking, or if this isn't what you ordered, just give it a few years. That part I loved, because we all know Paul is playing the long game. He didn't have to release this album. These are just some songs he were working on. And if you don't love them now, don't worry, because how many songs on this podcast for me alone have been deceptive earworms that just needed the time and a few replays to really sink in? Again, just going back to his uh, comment on certain misfires, he was not above critiquing certain songs uh, specifically, as we see here with his thoughts on Lavatory Lil. Uh, this is a song we've already seen be compared to Polythene Pam, but here Irvin says, If anything klaxons his vintage, it's Lavatory Lil, a song exactly as old hat as you'd imagine. You think she's being friendly, but she's looking for a Bentley. It's a hackneyed conversation. Now, folks, I, for one, as a fan of all things lame, corny McCartney, am actually pretty excited at the prospect of a hackneyed conversation, Paul McCartney's song called Lavatory Lil. I mean, I know I'm not exactly the right kind of fan or demographic for this kind of more esteemed musical review, but there you go. 
couple of other things that caught my eye in this piece. Uh, the song Sliding was compared to the Black Keys, which I like the sound of. And Deep Deep Feeling is described as the centerpiece of the album and ardent, fascinating and musically astute. And a song that people will grow to, quote, adore over time. Again, it's a bit awkward when I come to the end of these uh, reviews of reviews. Like, you know, that there's, there's, there's so many layers of metatextual commentary there. But the problem is so many of these reviews just end up explaining the story of the album as well to give you a bit of context. Or, and, you know, so much text space is taken up with song titles and the album title and Paul's name and stuff. And there's only so much unique information and hot takes they 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 can cram in, which is a little bit annoying, but, you know, that's the name of the game. Let's see what blood from the next publication stone we can suck dry. The next one, we come on to the latest publication of Uncut Magazine, which came out on November 10th uh, on the front cover. It proudly declares its quote-unquote world-exclusive interview with Paul McCartney. It's called Dare to Experiment, Paul McCartney Goes Far Out. And it, you know what, really was a genuinely sprawling piece that included an interview with Paul, a brief retrospective on McCartney 1 and 2, a look at Paul as the avant-garde Beatle, a little on his experimental quirky music, and culminating in a review of McCartney 3. And you know what, folks? It was comprehensive as fuck. I was very satisfied with it. And if I wasn't a massive McCartney dweeb who had already been combing through every available detail prior to this article's release, I am 100% sure I would have been engrossed by this. I would have enjoyed it to to, to its fullest extent as a piece of writing and been satisfied totally with the price of buying this bloody magazine. However, I am that McCartney dork. And unfortunately, this Uncut magazine, I guess, would be best explained as if you want to just buy one thing to explain McCartney 3 to you and you haven't caught up and you haven't really been paying attention to these last year podcasts, then this Uncut magazine would be the ultimate one-off purchase for you. Like, it really does cover everything. It, it, you know, it, it, it's really good. It really, it, it really was. And in the sake of fairness, I'm going to start with the good stuff. And with that, let's just go through some of the extracts that I've picked out. Again, I'm not going to be doing the voices, folks. I'm, I am really sorry. But to the people who don't like me doing the voice, I'm sure they're very happy. Is there a key song on McCartney 3 for you? If anyone asked me to sing one of them, it would be Women and Wives. I like the opening track, Long Tailed Winter Bird, because it's a crazy instrumental. The craziest song is Deep Deep Feeling. It goes on and on and on. I thought I needed to edit it because it's about eight minutes long. I grabbed the earphones, played it, and I got so engrossed that I decided to leave it as it is. I thought it might be a bit indulgent. Making an album like this, though, to some degree, is indulgent. But then, it's also about having fun. There's a very reflective tone on this album. Women and Wives contains a lot of wisdom. Many choices we make, many chains to unravel, every path we take makes it harder to travel. Is this you handing down advice to the younger generation? I think so. This arrived when I was reading a book on Lead Belly. I was deep in the South and the blues, and I sat at the piano one day and started playing the chords at the beginning of the song. Lead Belly inspired that vocal style, that Southern blues thing. It suited the song. 
Hear me, husband and lovers, what do we do with our lives? Then I was off on another trail. So then suddenly, seems to matter to others. Hey, let's think about what we're handing down to them. As a parent, as a grandparent, you think about that stuff. How about these lines in Seize the Day? The old ways fade away, there'll be no more sun, and we'll wish that we had had held on to the day. Is this age and experience talking? I don't go looking to do it. Your life is just naturally running along those lines. With songwriting, I get an idea, then I try to work out what I'm saying. I follow a trail, like a trail of breadcrumbs leading you out of the woods. I was in the first verse of Seize the Day, and completely at random, I came up with Yankee Toes and Eskimos. What's all that about? I like it, but how the hell am I going to get out of this? Then out came, can turn to frozen ice. That's good. Not every day of your life is sunny, so when the cold times come, let's seize the day. So it became philosophical, but I didn't set out to write a philosophical song. And the fact that we are ending it there, folks, after only (laughs) three questions, is going to be a bit of an indictment towards this whole sprawling piece. As interesting as those little segments were, the same can't be said for the majority of the article. And I can't help but notice we've already reached a critical mass Uh, an event horizon in terms of the maximum number of stories and anecdotes we're going to get from this album. Like, this article has pretty much everything we've already read before, just with slightly different words. It is a compendium in that sense, so it is a very good piece, you know, in terms of value for money. But we've got a question on the Abbey Road Mellotron, one about Bill Black's upright bass, one covering When Winter Comes and how it relates to George Martin. He mentions the Four Struder track when discussing McCartney 1. He mentions being a mad professor for McCartney 2. Like, it all just feels like it's being read off the same press release all the way back from the announcement at that junket fucking weeks ago now. Like, we've been there and done that on the last episode. Is it too much of me to expect that Paul has something unique to say for each individual interview? Maybe so. But in researching McCartney 3, never have I been more aware of interviewers asking McCartney the same thing over and over and over. Either that, or Paul is at a point now where he is just not allowed to be asked questions that aren't already pre-approved by his people. You know, give us something new here. Is Paul just out of stock anecdotes? Does he just not have that much to say about this album? Or is it just a lot of kind of musical jargon that isn't able to be printed in you know, a kind of light reading magazine like Uncut or Mojo. Hmm, dunno. The pinnacle of this feeling, though, was when Uncut asked Paul about retrieving songs from the back of his mind, as it were, and then Paul immediately goes off and does the same anecdote that we've heard before, but he's answering a completely different question entirely when, 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 you, when you think about it. It reads, You said some of the songs had been around for a while. Do you often look in the cupboard? The problem with iPhones is, is that you can have an idea, do 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 bam bam, and you think, that's good, I'll finish this later. Then you realise you've got 2,000 of these ideas on your phone. Oh god, am I ever going to get around to them? So, lockdown allowed me to get around to a load of them. Like, yeah, Paul, we've heard the iPhone story before, it was funny before, second time, not so much, Uh, you didn't really answer his question. And what we see there, folks, is classic Paul evasion. He doesn't want us to know his process of how far he goes back in his songbook, whether he has them all written down or whether they're just in his head. How many does he really have? 
2,000 of these ideas? Are these just notes, little hums? How many of them are re-repeats? Like, it'd be really funny if, like, 1,400 of those ideas was, like, the same one and you just never got around to it, you know? But, yeah, whilst I do want to recommend this Uncut publication, like, they all did really well here, the people at Uncut. It's very, it's sprawling. It's all-encompassing. Like, like, it gives you everything you want. But... Like the time I watched the Ron Howard documentary on the Beatles touring years, you know, for someone who's slightly more than just the the average fan, it's just gonna it's just gonna give you nothing. And heavy is the head that wears the crown, you know. Also, just before we press on to the actual review, there was another part of the interview segment that really made me laugh. Uh, very very much like the last part. Also, just before we press on to the review, there's another part of the interview where Paul basically does the same thing again and answers his own question. Uh, The interviewer asks Paul whether he was listening to any of of the other Beatles' work during the time of, say, McCartney 1 or McCartney 2. And Paul, rather than going ahead and saying either, no, I didn't listen to All Things Must Pass, or no, I didn't listen to Double Fantasy, rather than avoiding that touchy subject... Instead, he just answers his own question and turns it into a story about how John listened to his song coming up and came out of retirement. Like, again, well done, Paul. Masterful. Anyway, on to the meat and potatoes of this publication. What did they think of McCartney 3? Well, they bloody well gave it a 9 out of 10. So it's very clear the critic John Robinson really fucking liked the album. The whole thing is loose, strange, and has a welcome feeling of experiment. Ad hoc, anything goes is the mood. Much is accomplished and playful. At other times, he sits with a traditional instrument, piano on Women and Wives, acoustic guitar on Kiss of Venus, and he lets his melodic gold tumble out. But the best moments are when McCartney sounds like he's genuinely pursuing the strangest idea he can, only to bust through the fabric into genuine origination. And I know I said earlier about managing expectations, but oh my god, that review has me excited for this one, folks. Ah, oh, come on, McCartney 3. I can't, ugh, still can't believe it's coming out. Just a couple of other things before we move on as well. This is the second time now I've, I've seen a reviewer... Uh, mentioned that the guitar on this album reminded them of Eric Clapton. Definitely going to keep my ears open for that one. What else do we have in this review? Um, This was also the second time some of the guitar on this album reminded a critic of Eric Clapton. Interesting again, going to keep my ears open for that one. Also, after we heard Mojo Magazine refer to Sliding as feeling like the Black Keys, well, here in this article, it is described as containing an Arctic Monkeys style riff. So again, that very contemporary modern sound is definitely coming through there, not just through the production, but through Paul's you know, playing as well, which is very exciting. Now, one last bit that I did think was a bit odd, just editorially, like I don't know what they're trying to push here. And it's this bit earlier in the magazine where the interviewer asks McCartney, do you ever think about your responsibilities as a songwriter in these times? which isn't a particularly loaded question or anything, but I noticed they aren't leaving it open to the possibility that maybe Paul has no responsibility in these times, and he's just a guy in his studio with his guitar, and he doesn't owe us anything more than that. Then, in the review, the final paragraph ends with, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with being Paul McCartney. 
Now, I can't tell whether this is uncut, kind of sticking to their own kind of narrative that, you know, they've already decided about musicians and their impact on the world and stuff. Or is this down to, you know, Paul's media people wanting everyone to use certain buzzwords to make him appear a little more relatable? I don't know what it is, but I don't know, something about it was a little bit sour in my mouth. Again, I've spent so much time slagging off this uncut fucking magazine article and review, but folks, it was really good. I, I really did enjoy it. I've just got this cold, dead heart. I can't enjoy anything. I'm sorry. Then we have Paul's appearance in Rolling Stone magazine. I think this came out on November 13th. Of course, as many of you will already have seen, Paul shares this article as well as the front cover with singer-songwriter heartthrob of mine, Taylor Swift. The pictures were also taken by one Mary McCartney, who has also taken the rear cover and several gatefold photos for the upcoming McCartney 3 album. Again, as with Mojo Magazine, Uncut gets the exclusive with, with the album, specifically, but that isn't going to stop Paul from coincidentally doing other magazine interviews from around this time that may or may not include McCartney 3 in some way. And I mean, who can blame this man? Who would refuse a conversation with Taylor Swift, you know? And just to clarify, when I say chip the chat, this is literally what the article is. It is just a recorded conversation between Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift. I mean, it's probably super edited, super zhuzhed up, but it's just a conversation between the two of them. And for what it was worth, it was a fun read. Perhaps since it was free from being directly related to McCartney 3, it meant I was able to just enjoy it more as a piece of conversation and uh, you know, a piece of writing. Admittedly, McCartney does bring up the new album incidentally in kind of offhand ways. I think he mentions the length of deep, deep feeling and feeling a bit self-indulgent with that. I know he's mentioned that elsewhere as well. But the the conversation itself mostly isn't about that. And it, it was delightfully free roaming. You know, you know, they touch on numerology, songwriting, family, COVID, you know, everything. Along with, of course, Paul, you know, going back in, into those... Uh, familiar tropes, you know, he can't resist, and he, he does throw in a couple of uh, familiar Beatles stories to a presumably transfixed Swift. Now, I have seen a few photos of Paul and Taylor Swift together already. I think they may have even played live before together, have they? Don't know. But clearly, even though she's an A-lister herself, she's in awe of Paul here, and it is endearing to see such top-selling acts go all weak in the knees around our Macca. Also, got to say that both of them look great in this article. Both of them were dressed by Mary McCartney also. And the photos she took of the two of them, frankly, were a joy. Paul looks young and as vibrant as ever with a, a certain cool grand dude wisdom about him. And Taylor Swift looked dreamy, as she always does. Great stuff. Not going to read any of the article out on here. You know, it's not really related or, or pertain to the topic and this part of the episode is already going on for far too long anyway. But it was a rather fun read, so go out and grab a copy if it's still on shelves. Next up, we have our review for Salon.com. Salon being a mostly news-based site, but they also do culture and entertainment. And by chance, who should they have as their critic for this review? Why, it's none other than one Dr. Kenneth Womack, which makes sense as he's also recently launched a podcast with them as well. For new listeners, Ken was the very first guest we had for a joint album review back here on the podcast. That was probably our Venus and Mars episode. Wow, that was a long time ago. Go back and check that one out if you haven't already. 
But yeah, Ken was both fortunate and frankly deserving enough to be given the opportunity to listen to this music ahead of time. Gotta say, Ken, I'm incredibly jealous and I want to know how you listen to this music and whether you're able to send me a copy. Thankfully, though not too surprisingly, Ken gave this album an incredibly positive review and I was glad to see that he engaged with the material so immediately. Like There was no like reservations or caveats or anything. You know, he, he, he just launches into the appraisals and I loved it. Again, he doesn't have a final score either, uh, but very clear, folks, that he enjoyed this album and the recommendation is strong with this one. A segment, let's just go through a quick segment here. McCartney's whimsical approach pays dividends from beginning to end, with the songwriter charting the emotional experience of not only surviving, but thriving in his eight decade on Earth. And he has the roadmaster to prove it. In many ways, McCartney himself is the long-tailed winter bird who soars above the opening track, a spirited, largely instrumental number that is highlighted by one of the musician's niftiest acoustic guitar licks in years. When Winter Comes acts as a coda for McCartney 3, which, like so many of his previous efforts, features a musical reprise. In this case, the Winter Bird exits with a final flourish before giving way to a gentle acoustic guitar, originally produced by George Martin during the same 1992 Flaming Pie session that yielded Calico Skies. When Winter Comes is a quintessential McCartney number, with a wistful recitation of the natural world and our fleeting existence within its fabric. While When Winter Comes would have been at home during virtually any phase of his illustrious career, the song's inclusion at the tail end of McCartney 3 makes perfect sense. It's not only one of his most beautiful compositions, which is high praise indeed, but also an insightful realisation of the ways in which the uncertainties of life and death are always, in spite of everything, roiling among us. And Ken's right, folks, that is very high praise indeed. My gosh, when I get around to McCartney 3 myself, I hope I can write something half as wonderfully erudite as that. But yeah, When Winter Comes, this is a very hyped track. You know, a lot of people have a lot of good things to say about this one, folks. How can I not be excited by the prospect of not only one of his most beautiful compositions, but a quintessential McCartney number? This is so exciting, isn't it? Again, just another couple of other points. Ken doesn't say Lavatory Lil is like Polythene Pam, but he does say it may have found a home nestled in between Mean Mr. Mustard and Polythene Pam on the Abbey Road medley. Also, with Slidin', rather than comparing it to contemporaneous rock bands, he cites that the song harkens back to Let Me Roll It, you know, that kind of wanky McCartney guitar styling, which again, very fascinating. Next up, I'm just going to quickly talk about uh, the hype for McCartney 3 and a single, and this, and this episode really, like how it, how it, how it kind of came to be. So Paul has basically been teasing us with this album for a while now, you know, we've, we've had the release date, December 11th, but there's been no single. And everything he's released in the interim has instantly been analysed, broken down, uh, you know, to see if it contains any clues. And, you know, perhaps some parodolia started taking place and people started to see things that weren't there or started to see things they wanted to see or started drawing conclusions that were just made up. And Paul slash Paul's social media team, I, I really should stop saying Paul, it's not him posted a picture whereby several dice were arranged in the shape to make a Christmas tree, and there were 13 dice there. Then, in a bunch of other posts and tweets, 
There were also the addition of 13 emoticon, emoticon dice in the text. And amidst all the comments on Instagram and Twitter just shouting, give us the single, Paul, you know, the fan base started to get a little bit out of control and ravenous. And the rumours of a single being released on the 13th to coincide with all these 13 dice really started to pick up speed. And that's where this episode came from. Essentially, I was going to release this a couple of days ago and it was going to be, you know, all the stuff leading up to the single and then a review of the single itself. But... You know, I don't want to just keep this episode on ice indefinitely. I'd rather get it out there. So it is, unfortunately, just going to be all of the context stuff. I'm sure I will have explained this to you all at the start anyway. But yeah, it's been an interesting one on Twitter over the last couple of days. Ever since McCartney 3 was announced, you know, I really took an active role in the, in social media and talking to as many people as I can about this album and find out what they know. And it seems like every day now there's a new rumour that it's going to be coming out tomorrow. And I get excited and it doesn't happen. I get excited and it doesn't happen. So I'm just going to release this, this episode now because we don't need any more hearts being broken now, do we, folks? Then, two days ago... On Tuesday the 17th of November, I was sent a video by my main man, Mole, in the fandom. None other than friend of the show, Andy. And this was a video clip that was unlisted, so it had a certain amount of mystique about it. The clip was only 16 seconds long, and it pertained to contain audio from McCartney 3. Hey, fuck it, let's play it right now. Very interesting stuff, right? I love how even songs get trailers now. And as gimmicky as it is, I did find myself being oddly captivated and on the edge of my seat the first time I heard that clip, especially in the context of trying to work out what point in the song that snippet would have been taken from. Like, what kind of song is this going to be? Though eagle-eyed as I was, I noticed that in the description of the video put up by Paul's people, uh, it read the following... Listen to an exclusive preview of Find My Way from McCartney 3, our December 2020. And so the first thing I had to process there was, yes, the audio you just heard is going to be from what I assume is going to be the upcoming first single from McCartney 3 called Find My Way, a track which Kenneth Womack in his review describes as Beatlesque, which makes sense considering all of those sound effects we just heard there. And this was the very first time I'd heard anything about the title for the single being announced whatsoever. But the most important part of that description, and no, you didn't hear me read it out incorrectly, there is in fact a fucking huge spelling mistake. Some intern or overpaid marketing executive spelled it as our December 2020 rather than out December 2020. And yeah, that unforgivable error is probably the worst news of 2020 so far, really. And uh, me being the pedantic dick that I am, uh, I took a few screenshots of it for posterity and posted them on the Twitter. Go back to at McCartneyPod, you know. But it barely got six likes, folks. Hardly the massive viral success I wanted. But if you go back to the same video now, it reads as thus. Listen to audio from McCartney 3, out December 2020. The part I should focus on is that they've removed the title of the single there. Was that an error? Were they not supposed to let that slip? Perhaps it's some sort of subtle viral marketing to get us talking? Who knows? 
It doesn't matter, because the most important part for me here is that they actually fixed the spelling error. Now, this means that someone in McCartney's offices either show the video to someone with some sense and they fixed it by chance on the spot, or, and I think we all know this is the far more likely outcome, that there is someone at McCartney HQ, at MPL, at Apple, listening to us right now. Oh my God. Please don't sue me. But yeah, back to reality for a moment. The 16 second video clip itself was not just audio, it did have a visual element to it. And the visuals were a, this kind of stop motion little doodle sketch thing involving the white McCartney dice we'd already seen uh, earlier uh, with all the leaks and stuff, as well as the additions of blue, red and yellow McCartney dice in the mix, all you know, swirling and moving around. Now, it turns out that this clip is not just a promotion for Find My Way. It does indeed have a dual function, and it's acting as a promo for these new McCartney 3 colour bundles that were just released on McCartney's website two days ago. The video is actually on top of the store page when you log on. Like That's the only place you're really supposed to be able to view it. Obviously, you can just copy and paste YouTube links, stuff like that. But yeah, folks... These colour bundles, like, I'm not normally one to like, you know, McCartney capitalism and, you know, excessive merchandising and tat. You know I'm not. I don't like superfluous stuff like that. But, as silly as this sounds, this is a product that I am genuinely quite excited about. As a fan, you know, this is really fun. With these bundles, first you select a colour out of white, blue and red, and then from that you get a McCartney 3 t-shirt, PPE safety mask, a sports cap, a bag of dice, and a copy of the album. Each of these colours also has a unique logo to represent McCartney 3, and all of it looks fantastic. The, the colours chosen are really strong and bold and eye-catching. The merch looks well-made, it doesn't look cheap. I can see myself using any and all of it at any time. Not really the dice, though, but, you know, I'm sure I could fit those into my wargaming sessions at some point. You never know. And the potential social media flex for me as a Paul McCartney podcaster to have a, a mask or a hat or a shirt is just too much to resist. But there is a, a slight problem. The copy of the album you get with the bundle is on CD and only on CD. This, for me, is an instant turn-off because it means I won't be buying the full bundle. You listeners out there, feel free to buy yourself a second one and send it in for, you know, to the show for me to review. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, beggars can't be choosers. But I personally, everyone, I, I, I can't justify spending £60, near enough $100 to get a version of the album that I'm literally never going to pay. You know, I'm a vinyl boy at heart. I'm never going to change that. And I actually did send an email to the Paul McCartney customer services asking whether they're going to do a version with the vinyl or not. I'm not going to hold my breath. But yeah, if you could just get a standard copy of the album with this bundle, maybe even a colour to, you know, go along with it, that'd be very nice. I would have already bought it by now. You know, charge me £80, $120 for it, I'd be down. Strangely, though, if you go to the US version of McCartney's website, it only lists these bundles as whole packages, whereby you can't purchase any of the apparel separately. But thankfully, a very kind person from Brazil on our Twitter sent me the UK link, which by all rights I should have been using from the start, and 
on the UK McCartney site, you can indeed buy all of this merch separately at much more manageable costs. So if you're on a tight budget and you want to get something from this, you might just want to get the hat or the, just the t-shirt or just the mask or something, you can do that. Just go on the UK site. Speaking of uh, buying things on the UK site, in a moment of commercial weakness, in spite of all the Bolshevik Marxist socialist ranting about prices and the common man that I tend to do on this show and the fact that there's too many editions of this album already, I did go ahead and buy myself a yellow Paul McCartney cap and I can't wait to wear it. I really can't. I'm really excited. <laughs> so the main point about the CD versions uh, of this album, this is the talking point that's already spawned YouTube rant videos and internet threads and Facebook posts that are, are you know, already losing, people are losing their shit about this. Um, with these colour editions, you get either the secret white, red, blue or yellow CD. And all of these are, you know, yet further editions of the album for us to manically collect. Now, am I going to buy any of them if I wasn't buying the bundle? No. And, you know, neither do any of you either. But it is there if you want to buy it. No one's forcing you. You know, I'm not going to defend Paul here. He, he is whipping the horse. He's milking the cow here. We all know this. And normally I am indeed one of the proletariat. But come on, everyone. The average age of a McCartney fan, he's, you know, in their 40s now. So it's not like he's duping young, innocent minds or anything. If you don't agree with it, don't buy it. And if it doesn't sell, Paul won't do it anymore. But if it is going to sell and people do buy it, then, you know, that doesn't mean we should shit in anyone else's cornflakes because we don't agree with it. That being said, I can sympathise with why people feel like Paul is shamelessly duking the stats. You know, because he is. He obviously is. And I, I don't blame him, folks. Remember, pre-orders of albums still go towards the first week's sales, and we've got 70,000 different versions of this album, all of which are being sold and many are selling out. All of these albums are still all technically the same McCartney 3, so the week after this album's release, its total chart position will add up all of these additions together as if it were one release to one massive total, possibly pushing him to the number one spot exactly the way he did with Egypt Station likely leading to the next week him dropping off from the top spot entirely. You know, we can't ignore the fact, folks, that McCartney's inner circle of core fans that will buy anything, you know, the Tom Hunyadis and Andy Nichols, they outnumber the wider, more casual fan bases of entire acts, you know? And we will buy it all. We will. And Paul is giving us what we want. We're not going to buy stuff we don't want to buy. I guess it's just... There is a lack of transparency that people are taking umbrage with, you know. But then again, does Paul need to do all of this? It's not like there's a lot of competition during this post-lockdown period, this lockdown period for some. Um, just look at Kylie Minogue. She's done really well in, in the UK during this period with a lack of other albums on shelves, if shelves are still a thing where you live. You know, does he need to juke all these stats? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe all of this would seem less egregious in a non-lockdown world. I reckon maybe a lot of this was designed and packaged and produced with the hope that a lot of this would have blown over by, by the time the album came out. Sadly not. Oh well. However, the one thing that did annoy me with this, and I know it's going to irk people like our friend Ken Michaels to no end, is that not only do each of these four colour versions of the album contain a bonus demo song not featured on the album, 
but each individual color addition, so the blue one, the red one, the yellow one, the white one, each have a, an individually unique bonus demo recording not featured on the album. So, at a minimum now, to get all the music on day one, and that's all I ever really want, is the music, that's all ever Ken wants, is the music, you got to buy five albums. Now that does feel somewhat excessive and in bad taste. Again though, Angel on my shoulder, on the other hand, I also know it's all going to be made available probably the day of on streaming, if not the next week, you know. So in the spirit of Egypt Station, who cares? Then, then, with what now is a, a second set of additional recordings for this episode, at 5pm on the 19th of November, MPL themselves made this post on McCartney's social media. Regrettably, it read as thus. Unforeseeable production delays have forced the release of Paul's all-new all-Paul album, McCartney 3, to be moved back one week to December 18th, 2020. Thank you to everyone for your patience, support and excitement for the album. We can't wait for you to hear it. MPL. And neither could we! Oh, for, oh, for fuck's sake. Come on. Seriously, what kind of Mickey Mouse bullshit is this? I mean, screw the spelling error from earlier. This is truly the worst news of 2020. They've dangled it in front of us and then snatched it away. I mean, my balls are blue enough already. I'm going to be doubled over in agony by the time this album actually comes out. I mean, fuck. When I started this episode, everyone, I was expecting I was going to get a single and I was really excited. And now I'm bummed out. And not only do I not have a single, but the album's been pushed back a week. Oh, damn it. Oh, damn, 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 damn. So, MPL is citing production delays, which, considering the state of the world right now, does seem legitimate, you know. You know, the music's all done. Journalists and friends of journalists and friends of friends of journalists will have already heard it all by now. Uh, and this is essentially going to be about, not even like the product, but ensuring that all of the product is all ready for everyone at the same time on day of release. Like, I'm sure all sorts of factories and printing shops are experiencing difficulties right now, which makes a lot of sense. And even powerhouses like MPL and Capitol Records will surely be feeling the pinch of COVID. Now, it is unfortunate for MPL and Paul that such a delay should be announced not 48 hours after the announcement of a further four superfluous editions of the album. And matching coloured merch packages, because now not only are people already commenting that if Paul had maybe just one fucking edition of the album to worry about, then maybe there would be no delay, but now there are some uh, slightly more sinister accusations I've seen on Facebook pages and Reddit, etc. Some people never know. No, no, uh, seriously. Some people have actually uh, accused Paul and MPL of purposefully delaying the album because they haven't had enough pre-orders to guarantee a number one UK album, maybe even a number one Christmas album. And so the idea is they're going to delay the album, maybe release a single and a few more tidbits to then shift a few more units. Do I believe this? Absolutely not. You have to be pretty conspiratorial, and I tend to be at times, uh, to believe that Paul and his people would really do this. I'm going to need a bit more than people's blind anti-McCartney cynicism to convince me otherwise, you know? And if you do think this, fuck off. 
I know you're upset that the album isn't coming out. So am I. But, you know, we're all still going to get it before Christmas. So what's the fuss? Again, who cares? Like, for every comment on Twitter I saw where someone put, Oh no, December 11th's my birthday! There was another person going, Yay, December 19th is my birthday! So fuck it, let's all grow up, put our toys back in the pram. And remember a couple of weeks ago when we were, like, grateful that Paul was releasing a fucking album at all? Also, going back to Kylie, she got to number one here in the UK with the sale of just 50,000 units, which sounds like a number one maybe in something like 1843. But no, um... 50,000 units sold and she's at number one. So I find it hard to imagine that Paul is not already nearing that mark as we speak. Like, I haven't pre-ordered the album, you know, being one of two dozen people that actually are going to go out on the day and buy it. But do you really think Paul needs to juke these stats? You know, I don't don't know. I'd like to think at least 50,000 people in the UK have already pre-ordered McCartney 3. It makes sense. But yeah, email in at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Let me know what you think McCartney needs to get to number one here. Let me know what you think's happening and what you feel about this delay. So yeah, not too much to say there really. It's a bit of a, a bummer, a bit of a sad way to end, to end the episode. But there we are, after much pain editing and re-editing, there we are. That was our second update on McCartney 3. I hope you all enjoyed it, learned as much as I have, and are hopefully less confused than I now am. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Paul or Nothing, folks. Our next episode is going to be another chit-chat, not with Taylor Swift, but with the main man himself. I mentioned him today, Mr. Ken Michaels. Can't wait to have him back on the show. And we're going to be talking about our top three and bottom three aspects of McCartney, the man. Should be very interesting. Going to be a little bit of a different episode here on the show. Ain't got a quippy title yet, but hey, that's the elevator pitch. I'm sure Denny Lane is already playing us out, folks. But remember... If you want to email the show, if you want to get in contact with the show, email in at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or hit us up on the Twitter, which is at McCartneypod. Check out the blog, which is www.paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Type in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you are using. And if you want to help the show grow, if you want to help keep the lights running, or maybe even just thank me for the hundreds of hours of free content I've given you over the years, please consider becoming one of our Patreon patrons. Links down below. Thank you, everyone. Keep listening to Paul. Keep your eyes peeled for anything McCartney 3. Take care. Peace and love. Harry, Harry Krishna. Bye-bye.